0: Good morning, everyone. This is Constance DeGroat, and I'm here with Tammy today. She's a former child protective worker. Tammy's deep inner calling expanded into her defending children, including inner-city work with after-school programs with kids, working in a pediatrician office, working in a psychiatric hospital for children, working with special needs kids in schools. She worked for 10 years as a social worker. She also worked in foster care, and she has over 10 years of experience working in the system, helping children have to go to family court? Well, Tammy gives us some great tips here on how to prevent yourself from becoming a victim of family court. Get your fine self a cup of tea and let's get ready to go. And thank you, love, for holding space for me and Tammy here and for yourself. So welcome, Tammy. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's definitely an honor to have you here, especially talking about this topic. It's definitely needed. What brought you into working with kids?
1: I think growing up, you know, I've always had this passion to help people. You know, as I got older, I started to see things and have my own experience of witnessing domestic violence and abuse. Once I moved through high school, I kind of found that passion to really want to seek justice for children and try to give them a voice.
0: Did you find it took a lot to get a child removed from a home? It does take a lot.
1: It depends if there is is blatant, obvious abuse if the kids are left a very you know at a small age and they're left unsupervised and they're left for a number of period of time. There's, the department has to meet what they call a minimal degree of care. It's a federal policy. The department has to prove they try to prevent or eliminate the removal of the children. They have to show what efforts and what services or maybe they needed a safety plan to make in order to prevent the removal of the child. So if there is domestic violence in the home, the department can help the parent plan for a safety plan, as in keeping that abusive partner out of the home. Or they're gonna go stay with a friend for a while until we can get some support services in for them. If there is a substance abuse issue, we can help the parent enter into a program and make a plan for the children's care while the parent is in the program. And then you have your minimal degree of care, which is very minimal at your basic needs. The children has a safe place to sleep, food, clothing, shelter, utilities, education, supervision, and safety. If the conditions of the home aren't great, they need to be rise to the level of being unsafe before that would ever prompt any type of removal from the home. And you have your different types of neglect. You have your physical, educational, emotional, and medical. I always found the most difficult one to prove is emotional. How do you prove emotional neglect is occurring in the home? And that was always the biggest problem that we ran into. The child's need for love and to thrive in the home. You have to show the child's being impacted by the lack of of that need being met, which is extremely difficult.
0: In what ways did the system make it difficult for you to protect children? I was surprised to see kids staying with their families while they're in court against them. If
1: there's physical abuse going on in the home, it's often the teacher or somebody in the community that's reporting that. And these workers will get assigned to go out and speak to the children. And it is really, really difficult to get these children to talk because they have that fear of being taken, they know what's going to happen when they're old enough. Their parents have often told them that they are going to be taken away if they talk, that horrible things will happen to them, and they'll never see their family again. As a child, it doesn't matter what kind of parent you had as children, love their parents. Whether they're neglectful or abusive, they still love and want to protect their parents. Then they have the fear of losing their family and the unknown. Well, mom said, if I tell, then then I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to go to a stranger's house. And what is that going to be like? So these kids, a lot of times, they won't talk unless there really is physical evidence when that worker goes out there. It is very difficult. And so the case will stay open. And the investigation will continue, and services will be put you know in place. We try to get voluntary services into the home. If the department doesn't have enough to file a neglect on the family and they don't have enough to prove that that child is being physically abused, then nothing happens until another report, until another instance. If the marks are healing and the bruises are healing and the workers cannot see them, it is very difficult. If the child doesn't speak, it's it's a big barrier.
0: I remember you writing to me that children don't have a voice in the courtrooms. So this is one of the ways, right? Children
1: very rarely have a voice in the courtroom. What happens is if there's an investigation and a young child gets removed, or even if the child doesn't get removed from the home and there's a trial for neglect... The caseworker becomes the representative for the child. The child will talk to their attorney, a stranger they never met, and they ask them questions about their parents, whether they feel safe in their home. The child's attorney has to determine based on the evidence that the department collected and the information that the child is willingly telling them. They have to base what's the child's best interest on that. And then the caseworker has to gather their information from their investigation and from the interviews that they've had with the child, what the child has disclosed. If that's enough to take the family to court, then the caseworker will speak on behalf of what the child has disclosed to that caseworker. That child remains in the home because there's not enough information right now, you know, to remove that child. We're going to try to help that child and prevent the removal first if it's not a case of physical abuse. It's tricky. It gets very tricky. You have your abuse and your, your maltreatment cases. The abuse cases, Generally, if, it, if you're looking at physical abuse and you have proof, you're going to most likely go into court trying to remove that child because they're in imminent danger of physical abuse. And you may win that case and you may not win that case. It depends on what proof you have. On a neglect or maltreatment case, you're looking at the lack of meeting the child's basic needs. You know, that child is, is, is remaining in the home and services will be in place to try to help that family. When it comes to sex abuse cases, that's an entirely different realm of problems. They're generally not allowed to testify under the age of six, or I think it's like five and a half. And they become dependent on these caseworkers and their attorney to speak for them. The level of competence. Does the child have sufficient intelligence? Can the child communicate events? Can they comprehend the seriousness of oath? Do they have an appreciation ability to tell the truth? Are they able to provide trustworthy testimony? What stage of development are they in? Do they have the, the memory? You know, children are awful, really bad historians. They get dates mixed up. If it's been a long time since the abuse has occurred, events may be really confusing to them. So they may get names wrong. They may get places wrong. They have a really poor recollection of time periods. Those all end up being gaps in their story because they can't articulate a timeline. There's not physical evidence of their abuse then that gets lost in their, their stage of development on their ability to testify. And they won't be deemed a credible witness to testify on their abuse.
0: That's really sad. I mean, I, I could see probably as a child being called a liar when you just, you're saying it's hard for them to talk about that information
1: yeah, studies about the impact of testimony and that it can cause long-term mental health issues for the child. As if the abuse alone is not going to cause any long-term problems, they don't want any more problems of the child testifying because the family court is brutal. They have to tell their story over and over. They have to tell it to their attorney. They have to tell it to the police officers if there's criminal investigation involved. There's hours and hours spent in court. It's time spent out of school. It is not a comfortable environment for a child. It's not a safe place for a child. A lot of times I see in a criminal and family court case is a plea bargain will be offered. They want to make a settlement. If the abuser Admits guilt, he'll be offered a plea bargain and therefore spare the child the need to testify. Instead of doing jail time, they may get probation and registered on the sex offender registry and required to do treatment um, in exchange for their admission of guilt so that the child doesn't have to testify. They have child advocacy centers if they are concerned about the child's credibility and there's not enough evidence or they need the child's testimony. They have forensic interviews that they can do to try to determine on whether the child is telling the truth and whether the child is competent enough to testify to their abuse. It's, it's just a very complicated system. On one hand, children need to be given a voice But on the other hand, there's all these of preserving their mental health so they don't have to go to family court. And they don't get to speak. Their attorney speaks on their behalf and their caseworker speaks on their behalf.
0: That's definitely really tough. Yes. Everything you're saying is really heavy. So as far as rehabilitation programs, do they work for the parents?
1: Family court is designed to be rehabilitative, not punitive. So they can be charged with neglect, but if this is their first round in court, they're going to be given a chance to rehabilitate. And depending on the level and seriousness of their charges, a lot of times they will be given the chance for those charges, the family court charges to go away. So if they're getting charged with neglect or maltreatment, they're not looking to punish the parent. They're looking to rehabilitate them. So they will have pages and pages of court orders of services to complete, depending on what their issue is, what the family's needs are. Do the children need to get to school? Is there medical issues? Is there medical neglect? Do the parents have mental health needs that need to be met? Is there substance abuse needs? They are not doing it on their own voluntarily, and they end up in court then they will be given orders and they can go through and, and, and complete the services and not learn anything. They can very easily go to 21 parenting classes and not learn anything. They can get the box checked off that they did that. They can go through mental health services and say, yes, I'm fine. I went to, I don't have any problems. You know, in therapy, you can't engage and help If the person is not willing to engage themselves, if a family, you know, a mother, father is going to their therapist and saying, everything is fine, or I recognize this and they go through a couple sessions and they're compliant with going, there's not much we can do about that. They can easily complete a substance abuse program. So if the boxes are checked and they've done everything that they need to do, then the department goes away. Whether they meaningfully really made any changes or not, and they have no more investigations or no no more concerns, then the case is closed. A lot of times, it'll be years in family court. Children are in the home and the same issues are occurring and their orders get extended, and they are given another chance to make changes. And so sometimes we end up having these preventive cases where the family has court orders, and five years later, we're still working with the same family on the same issues. They don't rise to the level of having to remove the child from the home. They're still meeting the child's basic needs. You have to clearly be able to prove that the neglect of love, the neglect of care, you know, that lack of, of parenting, it may be bad parenting. You can bad parent your ch- child. It's not against the law to, to be a bad parent. As long as you're meeting your child's needs, you can't physically abuse your child. You can't deprive them of education. You can't deprive them of their medical needs, uh, food, water, but you do not have to be a good parent to have children.
0: Do you feel like parents need to be held to a higher standard? I think there needs to be accountability.
1: There are a lot of services that are available to engage these parents. Change is really hard. When you grow up in a home and have no idea how to parent, and now you have children or expected to parent these children, there are services that are available. To engage these families. There are parent aid services where somebody will come into the home and help them two to five days a week depending on their level of need. They will help them. They will show them how to fill out the papers to get their kids services. They will take them to the school to meet with counselors to get services in place for these children. They will take them to Medicaid social services to get their health insurance to get their food stamps to get everything set up. Do a safety check And provide the family with safety plugs, straps for the TV, straps for the furniture to make sure that their home is childproof. And they will go through everything to make sure that their home is safe. They will educate the kids, uh, the parents on the stages of the development of children. They will remove unsafe cribs and provide them with a safer crib if they have a broken crib they'll go in there and they'll provide them with a pack and play, so they have some somewhere safe for their baby to sleep. So they have a lot of really good services that are there to help the families.
0: That's amazing. We don't hear about these things though. Now, and a lot,
1: you know, the funding, there's not a lot of funding. They have services,
0: but they can do
1: so much more if they had the right funding. The mental health system is very, very tricky. You know, you have good therapists out there, And you have not great therapists out there. You have amazing social workers, caseworkers that'll go out there and really try to help the family. There needs to be accountability with service providers. When you work for Department of Services, you have a union-protected job. You know, there needs to be accountability for what these caseworkers are doing, how mental health services are going. I mean, we've had families with teams of people. It's overwhelming, but teams of people managing the services for them. Families can be very successful if they are ready for change and they accept the services. They, they do amazing things. They'll, they'll complete their parenting classes and they'll be so grateful to make these changes. And there are some success stories. And then there are many that fall through the cracks. And the family court system is a very difficult place as far as being designed to help children and families. Uh, either things that are entertained in court, you know, we can go through an entire hearing and not once a child's not mentioned, the child's not mentioned. We didn't deal a lot with custody cases and sometimes they would be so unmanageable. The judge would try to get social services involved to try to help. It's not our area. Sometimes they would order, try to order services in and that, in that family to help them. Custody cases are very difficult. And there's a lot of back and forth, and a lot of times it's the attorneys and the judge speaking, and the court doesn't know that child. The attorney gets to decide with what he thinks is best for that child.
0: And this is definitely not like a lower class issue, right? There's middle class, upper class. It is. And when
1: you have a high status, high profile, you will get treated differently. You can, um, you'll end up with a private case, but family court meets on all levels. You have, you know, a lot of poverty and then you have your middle class and then you have your upper. I feel that middle class your working average person there, one of the hardest ones because they really get dragged down and lumped into the view of the lower class. Not that they're better. You have parents that go into court. Mother refuses to break up with her boyfriend, even though he's known to the agency as being a predator. And she's been warned that he's a predator. Continuously allows that man around her children unsupervised. There's a different level of intervention that's needed for her. And then you have a mom who is doing everything, finds out that her child is being abused by her boyfriend, calls the police, calls the department for help, is doing everything she possibly can to protect her child, but she still gets dragged through the family court system. Her character gets flawed. Her ability to parent, her ability to keep her kids safe is questioned. And then if she wants to do everything to keep her child safe, she has to fight with the court because the father has rights to his child. She ends up in this position of fighting the family court and fighting family law because she She's trying to keep her kids safe and they're trying to give him visitation because he has rights. They'll delay the case. They'll delay the case. They'll delay the case family court is not you go in your case is heard you're done it can go on for years it can go on for months whether you have work or not you can sit in that family courtroom for hours once a week or once a month you're back in family court and it's a tireless system once you end up in the family court system if you don't have the option for mediation you know and as a parent a lot of times they don't question their right and they become victims of the family court system they didn't do anything wrong and they're trying to protect their kids against somebody else. And what do you do then when you're up against these attorneys and these judges that think they know best what your kids and they want to allow your child to go on a, a sleepover with a sex offender? Because the sex offender didn't abuse their own kids. They abused somebody else's kid. Sometimes a parent has to fight for supervised visits. And there's not a lot of
0: resources out there.
1: They're going to say, who in your family is willing to supervise these visits?
0: So some of these parents, they don't care, I'm guessing, about their kids so much. They just want the image that they're not like a bad parent. Yep.
1: It's not their fault. It's their child's fault. And then it's a system's problem to fix their child because they don't want to take responsibility and accountability. And those are the cases you end up seeing that are years long because they refuse to take any accountability. And the court will just keep giving them chances. And and year after year, they'll be in family court with another neglect case, the same issue. And it just perpetuates because it's allowed to perpetuate. There is too many children in foster care and children should not be raised in foster care. And what was it like when you were working in foster care to see all of that? Foster care was, was difficult. I worked on both sides. So I worked on the side before they got to foster care, trying to prevent them from getting the foster care. And then I worked on the other side of foster care, where all your work is really focused on getting the kids out of foster care because preventive measures failed. Now they're in foster care. And you're going to try on the other side where the kid is safe and now the parent has the time to focus on themselves. Who is held accountable really is the caseworker. What has the department done? What has the department done to help this mom get her kids back? Have you provided her transportation? Have you set up her her appointments for you? Have you offered her services? It's not a matter of whether she's engaged in services, you know, and then it becomes the burden of the caseworker to show absolute diligence efforts that we're doing everything we can to help this parent Get her kids back. And we're working harder than she is, where he and they're not held accountable in court. i would sit on, on the stand, you know, for an hour testifying during a permanency hearing about all the services that we've offered the family and all the services that the family haven't engaged with. And then a date is set for the next permanency hearing in six months, and they're given a warning. And six months later we're back there saying the same thing. And these kids will perpetuate in foster care because they're given chance after chance after chance and there's no accountability and the burden falls on the department. Permanency is supposed to be the number one goal of foster care to reunite that child with a family or establish permanency. There is a timeline for these parents, 15 months, the clock is ticking. That clock ticks way beyond what the law says. And they're given far too many chances. And during that time, sitting in foster care for three years. Now they have foster parents that they've created a bond with. Foster siblings, a new school, a new routine, and all of their needs are being met. They have visits with their parents. They see that their parents are not doing what they're supposed to do. They are old enough. You know, these 10-year-olds, 13, 14-year-olds, they're old enough to understand. And now that their mom has not done their orders, they're not going home because your mom Mom and dad haven't done what they need to do. So you're still in foster care. Another year goes by. Sometimes it's dangerous and they get sent home against the caseworker's recommendation and they end up back in foster care. It's a cycle that I've seen.
0: Well, Obviously, it's not just the parenting. There has to be another way that we break that cycle.
1: Yeah. You know, the law is often not followed. So the Adoption Safe Family Act it was designed for a child to receive permanency. That is a law, a strict law, that gives these parents a timeline to complete their orders so that these children do not perpetuate in foster care. And that law is often overlooked for extenuating circumstances. You're allowed to overlook the law and create extenuating circumstances, such as the parent is in jail two years waiting their trial. Well, that's not fair to the parent that they can't do all their court orders because they're in jail. They got their kids removed because they committed a crime while their children were in their home. And now they're in jail for that crime. But so the child will have to sit in foster care and wait for their parents to serve their time and wait for their trial until they're sentenced. Because if they're only sentenced a year, then they can do their orders in a year and get out.
0: So they could be a good parent- but not so great in society. And now the child has to wait.
1: Yes. On a lot of circumstances, if they're in foster care, they will be brought to the jail to have visitation with their parents in the jail. So it's not a perfect system. There are a lot of flaws in the system. My opinion that there's a lot of accountability being lost. The judges, the lawyers aren't accountable for upholding the law. Parents aren't accountable for completing their orders in a timely manner.
0: And I can't help but think when you're talking about how kids need stability in a home, about the whole root chakra and how that's developing as a child, just going yes. on a spiritual level.
1: Well, yeah, those needs of that whole child really to thrive, it, it's left out. You really have to show impact of of damage. There has to be so much damage done to that child to prove that they've been emotionally neglected, that they've been deprived of of security and love. Well, the child has ADHD. The child has a conduct disorder. The child's on multiple medication. Of course, the child's going to be exhibiting these problems. It's not because the child is being emotionally neglected. How do you prove that? How has this work impacted you? You know, when I set out on this this job, I thought I was walking into a place where I was going to make change. I was going to help families. And I quickly learned that I, I wasn't an advocate and I was there to help them, but I was there to help them under the strict guidelines of being a re- representative of the Department of Social Services. You know, I, I remember every removal that I did And as much as it is you want to take kids, you want to make them safe, but it is by far one of the worst things that I've ever done in my life, knowing that I'm taking these kids, only hoping I'm taking them to a better place, but then to learn that they're going to get returned back when change is not made and that these kids end up going back and they end up getting removed. I have scars on my soul from the things that I have witnessed in this job things that I will never be able to erase out of my, my memory and feeling completely helpless when I thought I was there to help. And I found myself in a position of fighting the very own system I worked for fighting with our own attorneys. Like, how can this be right? I'm not okay with this, but we need to have a settlement. I don't want to settle. Why are we settling? So that the case gets out of court quicker because it's harder to fight for what's right. And it's easier to just have a settlement and be done with it. For me, and I know for many others, but I will only speak for myself here, is like we are just puppets of the system and we are just doing what we are told to do. Boy, does that feel uncomfortable inside. It's like you're screaming to get out and really help and challenge the system that you're working for, but you can't because you're a representative of that system. So by challenging it, you're in the wrong. And now you are part of the voiceless society. Now you're, now you're one with the children. Now you have no voice. Even as a caseworker, I remember every child that I've taken. I remember their names. I remember the things that they've said to me. You know, it, it is heartbreaking because as bad as these parents are, these children love them. They believe that they'll change and that they'll go home and everything will be okay. And it's not, it's not always that way. And after 10 years of watching it, I resigned. It is not the way that I wanted to help children. It is not the way that I wanted to help women. You know, watching the domestic violence in IDV court. It was designed to help women of domestic violence so that they didn't have to go back and forth from criminal to family court. However, when you're in IDV court, I know I know the county that I went for, everybody that had court that morning that was a victim of domestic violence gets ushered into the courtroom and your case gets heard in front of everybody in the courtroom as if it wasn't bad enough to experience that in the privacy of your home. Well, now a whole bunch of strangers know what happened to you too, And you never see the media. Very rarely do you see the media out at family court. And when the media is called, it is a very sensitive case. And that case is always taken care of with extra caution because the eyes are watching. The eyes should be watching on every single case. I resigned it to give the attention to my kids because it was really... You know we did a training on secondary trauma The department offers five free counseling sessions a year, and then we started uh they started a training about secondary trauma and how real it is to experience PTSD symptoms and trauma based on working with families that have trauma and I realized that a lot of my paranoia and my hypervigilance and a lot of symptoms I was experiencing was because of the work that I was doing and you know I really felt that it was just a tireless it was a tireless job and not seeing change and seeing things get worse I couldn't do it any longer
0: is this still a passion of yours that you're looking for a new avenue for
1: it certainly is, and I don't think I've quite found that avenue. I think that speaking out and you know trying to bring awareness of, the, of how the court system works and how it's failing, um, and how these systems are failing, and there's not a lot of attention. There's not a lot of attention until there's a child's death. And then it raises an eyebrow, and then everybody forgets about it. You know, there's no follow through. There's often, there's not a lot of follow through. The passion there to help children, to help women, to help families is still there. And, and hopefully by using my voice and talking about it will bring a little more awareness and can kind of lead me into a new direction of, of how to help families without limitations, without the red tape of the system.
0: I think you'll definitely find that. It could even be something holistic. That would be
1: an amazing shift. It's not offered. I thought about doing, you know, looking into like some shelters and things like that, that would be open to receive, like, are they offering any holistic services to the women in the domestic violence shelters? I think they're a little more open to it now that is an area that that I would probably love to start some outreach to. Also the schools, I think having speakers in there about sex trafficking and targeting, um, talking to these teens, I think that is something that is needed is having real women and voices in the schools talking about domestic violence, um, that there should be assemblies on and awareness, not just the brush through in, in health class, but there need, I think there needs to be speakers and voices in the schools about child abuse, about sex trafficking, and about domestic violence, because domestic violence, it does start at a very young age. And, and teen, our teens are vulnerable.
0: No, you're right. And there's assemblies for things that happen after all this stuff happens, like shootings in schools. Okay, we're having assemblies on that, but we're not talking about what causes that. And a lot yeah. of what we covered here, it's the damage during your childhood that leads to that. Yes, yeah. Um, something that you covered earlier on that st- like stuck out to me, I don't want to speak for you on this, so maybe you feel the same as well, is that when you have that example that a parent's love is withheld from you, you go on to have relationships later on in your life where love is withheld from you because it's so normal to you that you just accept it.
1: Yes, and you become unworthy. You almost don't know how to feel love. How are you supposed to be in a functioning relationship when you don't know what it's like to feel love or witness what it's like to really be loved?
0: And it's like absolutely heartbreaking. Like I was watching the documentary on Netflix, Gabriel Fernandez case, and they were talking about how he would always, in some form on his schoolwork, show that he was trying to prove that he was good to his mom. Yeah, because they
1: take blame and children, you know, they'll take the blame on if I just be good. And, and, you know, I won't get hit, you know, and they got to prove themselves, they had to prove themselves. Um, They're looking for acceptance. So, so that goes on through childhood and it is heartbreaking. That's what you don't see, you know, that's, it's these internal wounds that are are often neglected as as abuse because you can't prove them until it's so late, until it's too late.
0: And then they also covered on it how sometimes getting a caseworker involved it can become worse for the kid. So then they abuse every time after they show up at the house. Have you seen anything like that? Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah. You can't oh it is probably one of the worst experiences that I've had. That a child will get hit for talking to me. You don't really recover from that knowing that they talked. You didn't have proof to remove them. And then they got beat for that. And later on, months, finally, there's enough evidence. Not by the worker, but by like somebody else seeing the you know, the scars and the and the wounds from from a child getting hit. Then that child's removed. It certainly happens and these children are trained to to not talk it's a big barrier
0: yeah it was definitely intense watching it because like you said the cases where kids die gets just thrown under the table like the parents weren't even charged
1: yeah that happens a lot I've had my share of cases with um, dead babies children that were pimped out children that were abused foster children that were abused in foster homes and you know that burden of proof and Accountability is just, it's not there. You know, there's a lot that goes on internally that you don't see. There's a lot of confidentiality restriction, and you are not allowed to talk to certain people about the cases and reporting in your own agency. Nobody reports their own agency.
0: I was about to ask you that. The agency is probably well protected too with confidentiality. Yeah. yeah. How do you report your own attorney? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: Hi, I, you know, I got a problem, my own attorney, how do I report them? I don't even know where to start. You become an enemy of of the system you're within and, and you're not allowed to do that. You know, I sit on stand and there are so many things, you know, as a caseworker and I'm sitting on stand and I am a representative of the, the department of social services And I am completely silenced as to what I'm about to say right now so that I don't make the department look bad. And I can't give you my opinion. I'm only giving you facts based on, you know, the case. can't give you my my beliefs, my opinion, just here to read this uh, script. I realize how passionate I still am about it, especially with everything in the news with the sex trafficking Amy's. I've seen it go on and I've worked with victims and and so I still realize like this is still such a passion of mine to help the voiceless, to you know, to really shine light on our systems that are not working properly. Everybody has their own idea what should and shouldn't happen and who should and should have rights. And and everybody forgets about these little people of the future that are getting damaged in the process.
0: It's just intense to think that there's a system that's not accountable, trying to hold people accountable that aren't accountable either. It just doesn't work.
1: And it doesn't happen in every case. I mean, there is justice. There certainly is justice. It's a fight. It's just a blatant, obvious case of abuse. There will be justice there. But if there's any question and you just don't have that hard evidence and you really got to dig and prove and, you know, it just, it's, it's really challenging and you never want to falsely accuse somebody. There are, unfortunately, are people out there that will coach their children. You know, I see this a lot in custody cases. They will coach their children into saying things that are not true about the other parent in order to win a custody case. That is just the worst position to be in. Then it really makes it difficult because it just destroys the credibility of that child. And that parent, you know, you want to believe, and then you question everything on every case. You want to believe that a child will never lie or that a, a mother, would never force her child to make up a story of abuse in order to win a custody case. It happens. So I understand the law is really, they're trying to protect everyone. They're trying to make sure that they don't falsely accuse anybody and everybody has their fair share of representation. And I think a lot of times the little ones are often forgotten and it's all these adults dictating what should happen. And nobody's ever thinking about the spirit of that child.
0: And just you know. as a whole a society, I feel like we're always trying to quiet the child. Like we have so many different diseases we're making up now for kids and just giving them pills.
1: Yeah. Here, fix it. There's no mind, body, spirit in the family court system. That doesn't exist alternative treatment is not an option to these families you're in mental health you go to a therapist they're not looking at that as a whole you know it's not the role of the government to talk about spirituality and their religious beliefs as a support system yes what is your support system are you affiliated with a local church but when it comes beyond that realm of Spirituality and the connection, and practicing mindful practices and meditation and yoga, and all those things that are really beneficial for managing stress. Those things aren't taken into consideration. Those things are never discussed. It's not protocol.
0: And you make me think of how I used to be a substitute teacher. So I saw a lot of different things going on, and teachers would tell me now defiance is now a disease, and there's like a pill for it for kids. Yeah. Yeah, those kids could need to say something.
1: Yeah. Oppositional defiance disorder, conduct disorder, in my personal opinion, and I know in many others, and you won't. See it written, it's an emotional neglect disorder. It's a parent disorder, you know, in some cases. I'm not going to say in all cases. Sometimes you have parents that are doing everything they can, and they really have a child with a legitimate oppositional defiance disorder. But in, a, in many, many, many cases, it is a lack of structure, a lack of routine, a, a lack of uh, caring and loving environment.
0: It is, and then we have schools profiting from, you know, diagnosing
1: yes yes and it's so much easier to diagnose a child and get them on meds to deal with them than it is to actually look at the child as a whole person you know where what where's your development what is your connection here with the family and and with yourself it's it's very easy to just diagnose and write a prescription and put a band-aid on the problem until they age out and they are an adult and have to figure it out
0: on their own. Here are some tips from Tammy on Family Court. You need to know what your rights are.
1: If you're in there fighting for custody and you're in there trying to defend your child against a predator and that predator is their father, you know that predator has rights. If you end up in that position, you need to know what your rights are and you need to understand what your child's rights are. Ask questions. Don't let the family court bully you. They have authority over your child, but you were their parent. And nobody will love your child the way that you love your child. And nobody will protect your child the way that you will protect your child. You have to become your child's biggest advocate. And you're going to have to do your research. And you're going to have to start to try to understand and find an advocate. A lot of times there are advocacy agencies. CASA is a big one in this area. It's a court appointed. I'm not sure what exact that it stands for, it's like a court advocate um, where they go with you to these courts. Services, if you are a domestic violence victim, they have advocates that go to every court hearing with you. Find your support team and ask questions. Where does it say that in the family court? Ask them, challenge them. What section is it under? Where can I find that? What are my child's rights? What are my rights as a parent? And you will have the hardest time because they don't like to be challenged and they're used to people not challenging them. A lot of them are bullies, they can dictate what happens to your life. And they can take complete control of your life and order you to bring your child to visit the man that's abused them and try to order you to even supervise those visits and try to order you for let them to go over for sleepovers. You need to um, be strong because you think that the hardest part was watching your child as a victim, but the hardest part is watching your child as a victim of a system that's failing and knowing that the people out there that are supposed to be helping only can help so much because of the way that the law is designed.
0: What an amazing interview with Tammy we had. If you know anyone that would benefit from listening to this, do share with them and have an amazing day.